Well, our backyard backs up to our Park District's golf course. Uh, we are not avid golfers. We have a large golf ball collection, which I'm not sure what we're going to ever do with. Uh, we just prefer the art of mini-golfing. Uh, <laughs> There are some really great people watching that takes place, and so many different personalities come through. There is the golfer that has the mouth of a sailor, sail, sailor, not sailor. Um, there is the fantastic dresser, but you know he's not so great on his skills. The person who's really just in it for the golf cart, uh, the intense celebratory dances, and then there are the cheaters. One day from inside the house, I saw one of the balls go over the boundary line into our backyard. It wasn't over that far, but I saw this guy pull up in his cart and he strategically parked his cart so the rest of his members could not see what was going on. He looked at it, he knew it was out of bounds, and then he just kind of kicked it back over. And uh, he you know, knew nobody was watching except for me, the creeper from the house. And um, he, I just wanted to see what was going to happen. So he turned towards his buddies as they came down. And he was just like, can you believe where this landed? This is so amazing. And I'm like, what? You should have just took the extra stroke. But whatever. Um, the majority of our lives and the true intent of our hearts like this golfer, are not laid out for others to see. Yes, there are some of us that post our picture of our happy kids on the first day of school, our beautiful vacation photos, and some amazing latte art. However, we are not showcasing the times that we yell at our kids, that we yell at our neighbors for not picking up their dog poop off our yard. We lie about where that proverbial golf ball lands, and we break others' boundaries, and we just eat a tub of ice cream because we just don't want to deal with the reality of our day. Our failures are not the first things we want people to know or even find out about. Failure will happen whether we like it or not because we're human. And as we continue through this series, Never Saw It Coming, we are going through the life of King David and how his failure challenged his faith and his relationship with God. David's life will forever be on display for us in the Bible and for all of us to see. And I hope by us taking a look at his life and his failures, we can discover how to move forward with our own. Last week, Greg shared about uh, King Saul, who had a lot of contempt for David. And um, David was appointed by God to be the king of Israel after Saul. So 1 Samuel closes with King Saul falling on his sword in battle, knowing that his reign is over. And David, he holds a great love for his people, and his people love him right back. And eventually, he becomes king and unites all of Israel. He was known as God's beloved. He is humble, he seeks God's righteousness, and he is a successful leader for the first seven years. And as time passes, there comes a point when his power, he just never saw this one coming. It was springtime, and David should have been leading his troops to battle, as no, most normally all the kings would do, but he decided he was just going to sit this one out. Early one evening, David rose from his bed and was strolling on top of the palace roof when he saw a woman bathing on a roof below his. 
In no way was she trying to be scandalous. This was just after her lady time, okay? And in order for her to go worship at the temple, she needed to have this ritual bathing. However, she was very beautiful. David sent someone to find out who the woman was, and the answer came back that she was Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, Uriah was one of David's officers that he just recently sent into battle with the rest of his troops. But David, he just couldn't get her off his mind. So he sent messengers to bring Bathsheba to him, and they had sexual relations. Soon after she returned home, Bathsheba realized that she was pregnant because of all the ritual bathing and just the timing, and she sent this news to David. David began to panic, and he realized Uriah couldn't have been the father. So he tells his general to bring Uriah back home. And this was his chance to cover his tracks because he thought, well, if he spends a few nights with his wife, all of my indiscretions will be erased. However, things do not go as planned for David. And so Uriah, he was a solid, upright guy. He understood that the men on the battle lines were suffering. He's no way going to spend the night with his wife. So he just chose to sleep in the servants' quarters. So on day two, David thought, well, let me just get you a little bit drunk. Maybe then that'll sway your mind. You'll head over back home to Bathsheba. But that didn't happen either. So... David decided, you know, the best possible way to cover my tracks is I'm going to write to my general, and he wrote this, put Uriah at the front of the battle in a place where the fighting is most intense, then pull back and leave him in the front of the line so that the enemy will strike him down and kill him. As you can expect, Uriah died in battle. When Bathsheba's appointed time of mourning was over for her husband, David sent for her and brought her into his household. He made her his wife, and in time she bore him a son. All I see when I read this story is David, David, David. It was all about him, his wants, his needs, his reputation, and power, his manipulation over others. It was him calling the shots and covering his own tracks. This whole scenario is an Old Testament version of the Maury Povich show. This isn't one of David's shining moments. David, who was the most beloved by God, comes crashing down as he fails over and over. So why did he do it? My first guess is that I believe the power and the status that he achieved got to his head and to his heart. The Israelite people loved him, and after a few years of being king, he felt that position of being put on a pedestal. This is exactly the reason why God didn't want the Israelites to have human kings to begin with. Kings create this sense of filling the place of God in our lives. His taste of power made his relationship with God complacent, and it gave him the feeling like he seemed to be untouchable. I always thought of David and Bathsheba's uh, story as the steamy affair, but truly, this was quite the opposite. David knew that Bathsheba was married as he decided to bring her to the palace. That wasn't a surprise to him. And it wasn't like he said, hey girl, Got some candles going. Why don't you come on over? He didn't do that. 
He escorted her by messenger, and because of his rule, she had to go to him. Otherwise, she had to possibly face death. He used his power to satisfy his needs, and he took what he wanted. We don't have Bathsheba's side of the story in this text, but either way, he was not respectful of her, her marriage under God, and he did not honor her body as a woman, and he treated her like an object. Her voice was of no consequence to him. And she was caught between a rock and a hard place because if anyone found out that she was unfaithful, again, she would be put to death. Bathsheba represents so many people in our world and around us, women, children, men who are objectified by others. But those who use their authority to steal innocence, they abuse and they destroy another person's worth just so they can build up their own. Each day we hear about positions of people's power in politics, the Christian church, or even in major corporations being showcased on the evening news. While we may not be running Fortune 500 companies, we battle who has the power in our daily life. Are you leading your life directed by God's power? Or are you pushing the people we love, those we encounter every day, with the thought of my life, my feelings, my needs take precedence over yours? Are you going to let God do the guiding? Or are you just telling him, you know what? I got this one under control. We get used to the feeling that we are in charge of our lives and then suddenly we wonder how we didn't see that massive destruction up ahead. I think it's really important for us to just understand that there are two kinds of failure. From this snapshot of David, his failure was a result of sin, specifically pride, envy, and sensual desire. When he saw his failure, his own sin, he chose to cover it up. His secrets were getting bigger and bigger, and then he wound up murdering someone. It becomes this slippery slope as he was only thinking of himself. So we need to be aware of these areas in our life where we're prone to collapse. Where does pride, envy, or desire enter our lives? For me, when I look at that story, I think to myself, there's no way I would do any of those things that David did. Never. But I bet if we went back to David the day before this all happened and we asked him, do you see yourself as a murderous adulterer? He would have said no. Those that have good character and reputation, all of us, have the capacity to fall or go against our own values. If you think you are the exception, you're wrong. The second we start believing that that would never happen to us is when we are incredibly vulnerable and we become blind to the fact that the devil is thrilled you actually think that about yourself. And in contrast, we need to be aware that failure happens as a part of life. We are going to see defeat. However, this kind of failure is not because of our own sin. For example, we may start our own business, and then a year or two later, we go belly up. Or we find ourselves unemployed, 
and unable to find a job, or the test results come back positive. Those types of failures in our lives just happen, not because something that we've done is sinful. Failure will happen whether we have a relationship with Jesus or not. You didn't see him joyfully going to the cross. Our life is going to run into failure, and the Christian life is not exempt from that. I don't think I know of anyone who wants to fail, and I don't believe I know anyone that goes throughout their day saying, how can I fail the most today? I personally despise failure. If I'm honest with myself, I don't like saying no. I don't want to disappoint anyone in my life because if I say no, they may never give me the opportunity again, or maybe they're going to think, gosh, I think she's pretty weak. And then I can't live up to expectations I've created. I get myself overwhelmed and stressed out, and I'm human. And while I need to trust God, my perceived failures aren't happening to me because of something sinful I'm doing. Failure is going to happen, but after it's all said and done, I believe there is an opportunity where failure can cause us to reset and to regroup. I love what the women's NBA president, Lisa Borders, said about growth. It's this. Failure is not fatal. It's feedback. Yes, we are going to be embarrassed. We're going to feel unsure and upset with the things that we've done or what's happening in our lives. But we have an opportunity to realize where we need to go next, how we can draw closer to God, or do we just keep going downward into the spiral? Do we take stock of what's really taking place and move forward with the knowledge to learn from it, to continue to flourish? Our growth begins with God, and David and him, he had a connection. He was God's beloved. But as you know, people are very good at messing things up. And as we look at this scenario, you don't see David asking God for his advice on lust, praying for patience with Bathsheba, crying out to him for mercy for Uriah, requesting wisdom. He doesn't do anything of that. He didn't include God in anything. Maybe it was because he was ashamed or possibly he thought, you know what, I can handle this. It reminds me of the Garden of Eden with uh, Adam and Eve, and God told them not to eat from this uh, tree of wisdom, but they did it. They messed up. And when God asked them, where were they? They tried to cover it up. They were ashamed. And instead, they just didn't go to him with an apologetic heart. They hid from him. There's story after story after story in the Bible of those that have failed because they chose not to, God, not, not to have God put into their lives. Chapter 11 ends with this. But the eternal one was displeased with what David had done. All along, God wasn't a part of David's storyline, and he just watched David fail repeatedly. I despise disappointing people, and to break God's heart, that one is a real hard one here. But notice that the text says displeased. It does not say that God gives up on David. He walks away from David. He turns his back from David. With a sense of disappointment, God chooses to send Nathan, a good friend of David's. He's a prophet. 
on his behalf. And he shared a storable, that's story and parable together. There you go. (laughs) He chose to share a story with uh, David. It was about a rich man who had so much and a poor man who only had one little lamb that he loved dearly. Nathan said, now a traveler came to visit the rich man, but he wasn't willing to take anything from his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had arrived. Instead, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the visitor. Nathan waited to see how David would react because it is a lot easier to see a situation that we're not included in. But David became very upset. And he said, as the eternal one lives, the rich man who did this deserves to die. At the least, he will restore the lamb four times over because he acted without pity. And Nathan responded, you are that man. In my, man, in my mind, Nathan was more like, dude, you are that man. I am going to guess this was the moment David didn't see coming. There were no excuses from David, just an utter realization of what happened in his heart, how he wronged others, and most of all, God. Nathan then goes on to give a message from God on all the ways he has provided for him over the years. It's a speech that basically says, after all I have done for you, after all I've done for you, God has spent a lot of time getting David to a place to lead his people. And that is why God was so heartbroken and ends with why. Why, David? Why did you have to do this? When sin is involved, painful repercussions come David's way. The son that David and Bathsheba conceived dies And destructive behavior continues to tear their family apart. It is just a royal hot mess from there on out. It's apparent that David's children were witness to his behavior because they carried that into future generations as well. The God of the Old Testament is viewed as harsh and severe. I don't understand why God allowed their child to die And the truth is, I honestly don't want to talk about sin today. I really like going in the humor category. Sin cannot be sugar-coated. It's a lot easier to talk about God's goodness. The weight of our sin and its consequences is the whole point of why our faith is unique. And that Jesus had to die for us because we're never going to be perfect. He was the only perfect person. He died for us. But I do know that God is good and God saves us in spite of our sin. Even though that's harsh and severe, he still loves us. He made us with free will. We're not these robots that walk throughout the earth. He waits so patiently for us to come to him on our own, recognizing where we've messed up, recognizing our sin, and knowing that we can't do this by ourselves. And our failure is restored by his sheer grace. Psalm 51 was written by David after Nathan calls him out and he writes this. Cover your face so you will not see my sins and erase my guilt from the record. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore with me a sense of being brand new. Do not throw me far away from your presence and do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. 
Give back to me the deep delight of being saved by you. Let your willing spirit sustain me. David's honesty speaks to all of us who've been allowed to take control and given into the failure caused by sin. Thankfully, we can honestly go to him and rest his, in his compassion. And if we are going to put him over our lives, we need to ask for forgiveness and have God clean and restore our spirit. This is something only he can do for us. David's words help us recognize that if we are to be restored, the work of God is to create us a heart that is clean and our spirit is strong. When I think of restoration, I think of old buildings that are run down, dilapidated. They're just unusable. And because of something, they've just kind of been let go. But then someone comes in, they start the process of restoration refurbishing it to its former glory. You can still see pieces of its past, but it's beautiful. I think we're that rundown building. God comes in, he restores our soul. There's still pieces of us that are peeking out, but he restores us to glory. Some of the things are the ways that we can keep on track And tackle these hard parts of our sin in our life for this. The first would be prayer. Maybe you don't even know where to start or what to say. And you can pray through Psalm 51 this week. This was just an excerpt. You can pray through the whole of Psalm 51. David left us a great framework. And maybe it would be helpful to write it out. Put your name into it. And maybe what missteps that we have caused along our lives. Also, that we can pray that we are a person after God's heart on a daily basis. It helps us to reflect at the hard, messy areas of our life and what sin does to our hearts. It gets twisted. It gets confusing and destructive. So what is the weight that is on your heart today? Are you at a point where your own power outshadows his own? Are you tired of running away from him because you don't want to own up to where you failed? Search for where complacency has settled in and allowed to grow. David was a man after God's own heart, and we know that he was not perfect. But even though he sinned, he still chose to keep coming back to God. Despite our own flaws, I would like to have that kind of legacy of faith as well and hope to share with others. Second would be building up a community around you, like the community groups that we have here at Westridge, friends you trust or mentors that you can meet with. Do you have those kind of people in your life, like Nathan, that are willing to call you out and be accountable with you, keep you honest about where your heart is? James 5.16 says, So own up to your sins to one another. And pray for one another. In the end, you may be healed. Your prayers are powerful when they are rooted in a righteous life. When you are open about your struggles, you bring light to them rather than just letting this darkness fill you with shame. It also helps us feel like we are not alone in our sin. God shows up for us and we need to be able to show up for people in our lives as well. Third is, have you created space for God in your life? 
When we try to take control and hold on to that power, it is so easy to lose sight from God. We have uh, a couple different things coming up here at Westridge. We have Monday Night Live. There's a couple different workshops or even a one-day event. It's called Be, Learn, and Grow on October 5th. It's an opportunity for everyone to have this dedicated time with God and just learning that practice of creating space. How many times can we say that we are consistently intentional with him? Use that space to take time for yourself to replenish, get filled up, and truly be present and connect with God. By creating that space, it fortifies our relationship and gives us the strength to fight off failure. Thank goodness. We serve a God of forgiveness and redemption. We see David caught in the deepest, darkest deception, and eventually he turns his heart back to God. We see the consequences, the repentance, true and our heartfelt, and we see a God that believes in restoration. And he decides to bless the marriage of David and Bathsheba that began in sin, and he uses it for good. So much so that you know who was born into their lineage 14 generations later, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the one person that God could use to cover all of our sin, erase all of our imperfections. Tim Keller explains the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. But here's the truth. Yet at the very same time, we are loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped. God is gracious to everyone, those who are adulterers, murderers, liars, perfectionists, the underdogs, the mistreated, those who have a hard time of letting go of their power. Whatever we failed at, thank God he restores us from our failures and our choices that have left us defeated. Despite everything we have done, everything, when we fail, he still draws us near in love and into his glorious light.